You are listening to Soul Searching, your weekly program where you and I discuss all the spiritual matters that matter. I'm Tom Butch. I have a simple calculator on my desk which has four primary functions, addition and subtraction, multiplication and division. Not many of us have such devices nowadays as we simply use our smartphone apps instead. This device is a relic from the past and has been on my table for nearly three decades. I was reading the latest online newscasts about Pastor Steve Anderson's visit to South Africa and how the poor fellow seems to have a knack of putting his foot in it. He is seriously homophobic, and ever since this radio station highlighted his hatred for gays, he hit local and international news headlines when he announced that he intended visiting this country. The Evangelical Alliance of South Africa said it regrets that Anderson's hatred for LGBTs may be spread here. South African Anglican Archbishop Emeritus John Gonkulu Ndugani said, South Africa is a society facing many challenges, including that of poverty. We don't need to have a man such as Pastor Anderson stirring up conflict and division through hate speech. So what on earth has this to do with my desk calculator? If the pastor is to take God very literally, as I think he has with nine children to his name, he did a fine job of what God commanded of him when he said, go forth and multiply. Thankfully, unlike my desktop calculator, the Bible has no function for division and nowhere does it suggest that we should go forth and divide. But God seems to have a quirky sense of humor, too. In August, Newsbeat reported that Pastor Tony Perkins, who believes natural disasters are sent by God to punish gay people, was forced to escape his property with his family in a canoe. While certain aspects of these stories may seem quite humorous, the unbridled hatred that lies at their heart is far from funny. One wonders whether there could ever be a modern-day crusade if preachers like Anderson and Perkins managed to twist biblical passages to support the assassination of non-believers. One certainly hopes not. But then one wonders how the world would view a Christian crusade given that the work of Islamic zealots is seen as acts of terrorism. But what motivates people to seek conformity in others? Why can't we just get along with everyone, regardless of how we differ? So where in our mental makeup do we find space for racism, sexism, xenophobia, religious and political intolerance, and any other form of discrimination and prejudice? These are pernicious, pervasive, and persistent social problems. Multiple perspectives have been advanced to understand and theorize discrimination, ranging from those that locate the causes within the psychology of the individual to ones that emphasize the political and structural determinants of intergroup hostility. European imperialism, slavery and colonial rule over indigenous peoples may have created the ideal conditions for the proliferation of social Darwinists' beliefs, but judgment itself seems deeply rooted within some scriptural writings too, like the racial overtones of the stories of Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. Abel raised livestock and his older brother tilled the soil and grew produce. When it came to making offerings to God, both brothers brought what they could and offered it to him. 
Abel slaughtered an animal and Cain brought along some produce from the land. The Bible does not explain why, and nobody really seems to think that God was being a bit pedantically mean when he favoured Abel's animal sacrifice and snubbed Cain's vegetable offerings. Cain, filled with jealousy, murdered his brother Abel and hid his body. When God found out, he removed Cain from his people and banished him from the land. God then placed a mark on Cain so that others would recognize him and not kill him. Cain forever became a cursed, aimless wanderer. Through warped interpretation of scripture, religion is quick to find justification to sport many of its heinous and disgusting acts of cruelty. Motivated by the story of Cain and Abel, with Abel representing white Europeans and Cain dark-skinned heathens, the prevailing Christian view by the end of the Middle Ages was that non-Europeans were inferior creatures. The Roman Catholic Church debated for a long time whether newly discovered peoples around the world were even human. The problem was that there was no way of establishing whether they had a soul or not. Joseph Smith was an American religious leader who, at the age of 24, founded the Mormon religion, otherwise known as the Church of Latter-day Saints. Brigham Young was the church's second president, and it was he who established Salt Lake City as the church's base in the state of Utah. Young said that Joseph Smith had declared that the Negroes were not neutral in heaven, for all the spirits took sides, but the posterity of Cain are black because he, Cain, committed murder. It was well understood by the early elders of the church that the mark which was placed on Cain was the black skin. In Mormon doctrinal writings, Joseph Fielding Smith noted that the Negroes are not equal with other races where the receipt of certain spiritual blessings are concerned. Not only was Cain called upon to suffer, but because of his wickedness, he became the father of an inferior race. Shall I tell you the law of God in regard to the African race? If the white man who belongs to the chosen seed mixes his blood with the seed of Cain, the penalty under the law of God is death on the spot. This will always be so. Here's a snippet from an old interview that explains the consequences of such uh, rulings in the church. I think the most damning statement uh, came from one of the presidents of the church, the third president of the church, John Taylor. Basically he said that the reason that blacks had been allowed to come through the flood, the flood of Noah, was so that Satan would have representation upon the earth. That black folks were here to represent Satan and to have a balance against white folks who were here to represent Jesus Christ, the Savior. Um, how do you damn a people more than to say that their existence upon the earth is to, to represent Satan? Notice how one of the church leaders nonchalantly fobs this off in this interview, calling it a flick of history. From 1830 to 1978, mm -hmm. blacks could not become priests in the, in the Mormon church, right? That's correct. Why? because the leaders of the church at that time interpreted that doctrine that way. 
church policy had it that blacks uh, had the mark of Cain. Brigham Young said, Cain slew his brother, and the Lord put a mark upon him, which is the flat nose and black skin. It's behind us. Look, that's behind us. Don't worry about those little flicks of history. It's the old eternal battle, the forces of evil against the forces of good. Ham, one of the sons of Noah, committed some unspeakable sexual crime against his father. For this crime, Noah cursed Ham's son Canaan. The narrative was interpreted by Jews, Christians, and Muslims as an explanation for Canaan and his descendants being inferior beings, having black skin, and being suited to lives of slavery. The curse of Ham was frequently cited as the biblical justification for imposing eternal slavery upon black people and black people alone. Thus, the buying and selling of black slaves was always perfectly acceptable to Christians since the Bible specifically permitted it. In the 1800s, the eugenics movement was initiated by English scientist Sir Francis Galton, who believed that humanity could be improved through selective breeding. The eugenics movement became negatively associated with Nazi Germany and the Holocaust. By the early 1900s, social Darwinism, with its emphasis on the survival of the fittest in society, was widely held by psychologists, anthropologists, and biologists. It sought to justify the domination of strong individuals, races, and societies over the weak. Social psychology and religion had conceptualized racism to be a normative, often invisible system of social practices, cognitions, emotions, and discourses that are perpetuated through all levels that privilege one social group and disadvantage and marginalize other social groups. Africa in general, and South Africa specifically, fell into deep racism once the missionary outreach of various colonial superpowers had subjugated the continent. Nobody knows who said it first, but it was either Jomo Kenyatta, president of Kenya, or Archbishop Desmond Tutu that said, when the missionaries arrived, the Africans had the land and the missionaries had the Bible. They taught us how to pray with our eyes closed. When we opened them, they had the land and we had the Bible. Through the 1960s, the Dutch Reformed Church claimed biblical authority for the practice of apartheid, and no other church seriously opposed it. As Dr. Favut, the then Prime Minister of South Africa, said, we did what God wanted us to do. But this supposition began to change in the 1970s. The Dutch Reformed Church held out on its own against other Christian denominations, but the pressure became stronger as the chorus against it became louder. Eventually, the church gave way. By the 1980s, it was assuring us that God did not approve of apartheid after all. In fact, he disapproved of it entirely. Within a generation, the Dutch Reformed Church went from supporting apartheid to condemning it as the Antichrist. 
Listen to this next snippet where Professor Nelius Nemant, a Dutch Reformed Church moderator of the General Synod, speaking on a South African Broadcasting Corporation TV show on the 6th of December 2013, gives tribute to a man who was once believed to be one of this country's biggest threats. Judge for yourself the enormity of the turnaround the church had made. Good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon. Now, can you tell us, from your perspective, your congregation, how are they accepting the death of Nelson Mandela? I think that the experience of the death of Nelson Mandela is shared with the rest of the South African population. It is really a question of people being shocked, people in the same instance appreciating his life, his example, uh, being a living witness of what it is to be a kind human being, and uh, so it's a question of mixed feelings in a certain sense. We know it was a long journey up till here and that uh, he was a very ill person the last couple of months. But on the other hand, also, you know, all of a sudden, hearing the news late, late yesterday evening, uh, a deep, deep sadness, uh, acknowledging the fact that a very, very significant person uh, mm. departed and completed his epic journey on earth. So there is strong evidence that situations can change when religion chooses to review its doctrines. In June 1978, the Mormon church made a huge about turn over the fate of black people inside its church when its president announced a divine revelation that reversed the church's position. God had spoken and black people were now allowed to become full members of the church. Listen to the way the church explains this. At some point, the church stopped ordaining male members of African descent, although there were a few exceptions. It is not known precisely why, how, or when this restriction began in the church, but it has ended. Today, the Church disavows the theories advanced in the past that black skin is a sign of divine disfavor or curse, or that it reflects actions in a pre-mortal life, that mixed-race marriages are a sin, or that blacks or people of any other race or ethnicity are inferior in any way to anyone else. Church leaders today unequivocally condemn all racism, past and present, in any form. There are statements in our literature by the early brethren, which we have interpreted to mean that the Negroes would not receive the priesthood in mortality. I have said the same things, and people write me letters and say, you said such and such, and how is it now that we do such and such? And all I can say to that is that it is time disbelieving people repented and got in line and believed in a living modern prophet. Forget everything that I have said, or what President Brigham Young, or President George Q. Cannon, or whomsoever has said in days past that is contrary to the present revelation. We have spoke with a limited understanding, and without the light and knowledge that now has come into the world. We get our truth and our light line upon line and precept upon precept. We have now added a new flood of intelligence and light on this particular subject. 
and it erases all the darkness and all the views and all the thoughts of the past. They don't matter anymore. It doesn't make a particle of difference what anybody ever said about the Negro matter before the first day of June of this year. Matters of previously uncompromising conscience were suddenly overturned. Had the Bible changed? Certainly not, but dogma had. One may readily understand how contemporary liberal thinking creates social reform which leads to celebration of diversity. Unbiased thinking is bound to find its way into law as it has done here in South Africa, but one is sometimes flabbergasted by the way churches find new ways of interpreting God's will in order to stay current. Almost the entire world opposed apartheid, and it is understandable how religions like Mormonism and the Dutch Reformed Church would have reconsidered their stance on racism. In October 2015, Nellis Janssen von Rensburg, another Dutch Reformed Church moderator, was interviewed on the Expresso show regarding the Synod's decision to sanction same-sex marriages. Here is a snippet from that conversation, demonstrating that God's will is open to monumental pivots in belief. Well, we came a long way with uh, this whole process over the last decade, mm. uh, discussing uh, this matter and uh, having serious debates. And finally, we came to the decision that we, we can't uh, afford not to decide on this matter, uh, mm. to postpone it uh, further on, because it's about people and this people involved in this decision was seriously, um, it has serious uh, uh, meaning for them. So uh, we had to take a decision and the uh, Senate uh, took the responsibility to take this decision now. We're still on a journey and um, we're journeying together. We don't want to leave people behind. So uh, we, we take them serious, people who differ from this. We, we love one another. We're a community of, of, of people journeying together. So, so we're not going to... To, to leave people behind. It, 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 it takes take some courage mm. to, to take this decision. And a, a, a decision like this, uh, the fact is that um, we did a serious study of Scripture. Um, we, we will still have to wait. People, churches will have to take time to, to consider yeah. this uh, decision of us, and it will take a while. Yeah. You know, it all depends how one reads, reads uh, the Gospel and, and, and from which perspective you look to, to the different um, applicable verses um, in Scripture, because uh, that's the issue. There are about seven specific verses in Scripture mm -hmm. which alludes to, to homosexuality, but um, you, you have to take historic, the historic position into account, because most of, of those um, verses alludes to homosexual rape, and we are all against homosexual rape. The fact is that the Bible doesn't speak about um, uh, specifically about people in a in a Christian relationship, people, faithful people, people um, who, who stick to one another in a um, permanent relationship, who are, are following Christ. That's not an issue in the Bible um, specifically. There has been a lot of eating of humble pie over the years. 
religious leaders of some of the world's most prominent faiths have had to stand on the public platform and repent for their erroneous beliefs of the past. Fanaticism is slowly being squeezed from the crevices of society, opening up new avenues for acceptance, tolerance and the celebration of all. Pastor Steve Anderson might believe that he has God's blessing, like Julius Malema may have believed that he had had the ANC's backing when, as its youth leader, he brazenly chanted the struggle ballad, Kill the Boer. But the South African judiciary decided that Malema had gone too far. The singing of the struggle song had overstepped its mark, and nearly five years ago, on the 12th of September 2011, Judge Colin Lamont in the South Gauteng High Court ruled that Malema's singing of the song constituted hate speech. Here's what he had to say. I find the words uttered by Malema constitute hate speech. The words of one person inciting others, Judge Lamont said, according to the South African news reports at the time. That's how genocide can start. He added, no justification exists allowing the words to be sung. People must develop new customs and rejoice in developing society by giving up old practices which are hurtful to members who live in that society with them, Judge Lamont concluded. Here is an edited version of a YouTube clip posted by Steve Anderson regarding his visit to South Africa. You know, first of all, this Minister Jigaba, who is the uh, government official that I guess they've been trying to get to ban me from the country. I mean, this guy is such a joke, and it's so funny. They've been trying to get this guy to ban me for the last few months, and he's he made it clear then, and he made it clear yesterday, that he's not going to ban me from entering the country. People, after all these many years of life, don't understand that politicians are always talking out of both sides of their mouths, lying, just kind of making false promises and so forth. Well, but he kind of just holds out this false hope to them like, oh, well, you know, we're still kind of exploring other possibilities. I mean, look, if he was going to ban me, he would have done it months ago. But he's just stringing these sodomites along and it's funny how they don't pick up on it. Because just as much as their non-discrimination policy protects sodomites, it also protects people's religious views. So my freedom is protected by those same laws that they're trying to come at me with. People are going to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior, and there's nothing that these filthy sodomites can do about it. But here's what Minister Gigaba ruled. After certain values in our society, and, and he is going to negate those values. I think those who had invited him have very tough questions to ask themselves. And perhaps since they may not take the liberty to ask themselves those tough questions, we as a society must ask them those tough questions uh, as to what exactly did they intend achieving by inviting such a person. Quite clearly in our society, we have people who share the views of this uh, person. And so 
they they took the liberty to invite him to our country. We we have considered the facts before us from a legal standpoint and taken the view that we must not allow him here. We we also, as I have said in the statement, withdrawn his uh, visa exemptions. He will now require a visa to come to South Africa, and he must apply for it. And the only basis to consider whether he will get it or not in the future will be whether he has uh, repen repented publicly um, from, from such views. If the words of the historical struggle chant, Kill the Bird, constituted hate speech, then it is no, not too far-fetched to understand that Kill the Gays could easily fall into the same genre. One chant was used as a battle cry by a post-liberation struggle politician, the other by a self-proclaimed soldier of Christ. After Malema's first day under cross-examination in the courtroom, he emerged and sang the song to his supporters outside the courtroom, but this time with modified words. Kiss the boor, he chanted. If Pastor Steve Anderson is to successfully obtain visitor's visa to South Africa, he, according to the Home Affairs Minister, would need to repent publicly from such views. I doubt that we shall ever hear Steve Anderson singing the revised form of his war cry, Kiss the Gays. I welcome your thoughts and suggestions about our show. You can always contact me by writing to this email address, studio at gaysaradio.co.za. You can also use any of the station's social media platforms, which can be found under the hashtag GaySA Radio, or via the website address, which is also gaysaradio.co.za. This show is broadcast every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. and is available thereafter as a podcast. Thank you for listening to Soul Searching, your weekly program where you and I discuss all the spiritual matters that matter. I'm Tom Budge. Join me again next week. Goodbye.